Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Profound Pickleball Podcast. My name is Stephen Ron, and I'll be your host. And this is going to be a uh, first-time episode of a certain type here. Uh, this is going to be a what I'm going to call a mailbag episode. And what I mean by that is several people have sent me messages or questions uh, through Facebook, um, either to me personally or through the Profound Pickleball Facebook page. Um, and I'm going to answer some of those questions here. And if you have any questions that you'd like to uh, have me answer, um, I'll be glad to do that either directly to you or perhaps here on the podcast. Uh, again, just go to um, Profound Pickleball on Facebook, or you can look me up um, on Facebook. You're welcome to send me a message um, that way as well. So anyway, before I get to the mailbag, I do have to talk about one thing that happened to me this past week that... Um, was kind of interesting. I was playing uh, with a, a group at DeKalb Tennis Center on Tuesday, and uh, someone that many of you know, Kenny Atwood, uh, was serving to me, and Kenny hit a serve that hit the net, and it uh, went probably an inch or two past the non-volley zone line, which meant it was a good serve, and I was pretty far back, and I had no chance to get to the ball, so I got aced on a net serve that in the past would have been a replay, but with the new rules this year, um, that meant that we have to play that. So I had no chance of that ball, and so I got aced. <laughs> and uh, it was the first time that I've been aced on a shot like that. Um, so congratulations, Kenny. You got me on that one. Kenny got me on another ace later in the same game, believe it or not. But this was not a, a net ace. It was just a really good, hard, low serve that uh, may or may not have hit, and hit a crack or a dead spot on the court, but it just didn't come up at all. So that was just a really good serve, I think. But the, uh, the net ace was a first. Um, again, that started this year. So in, I guess, almost five months of playing, uh, that's the first time I've been aced on one of those. Now, I have lost a few other points because of those, because when they hit the net, sometimes they take a funny bounce, you know, into the court. Um, so I have had a few cases where I was able to get to the ball and maybe didn't make the return, but this was the first time I just had no shot at it. So again, congratulations, Kenny. Uh, wear that one proudly. <laughs> anyway, all right, so let's uh, go to the uh, mailbag here. And actually, just let me add one thing to this. Um, I have put a video of that ace that Kenny did, actually both aces, on the uh, Profound Pickleball page. also posted them in a few of the Facebook groups like Northwest Georgia Pickleball, uh, Marietta Pickleball, I think I did Bartow, and a few others. So if you want to see video of it, uh, it is out there. You could also just search for my name on YouTube, um, and I put a lot of uh, pickleball videos there. And that kind of leads me to the first question that I've got. Uh, someone uh, sent me a message and said, what is the best way to record or uh, my matches? I want to use video to watch myself play. What's the best way to do that? Well, um, let me first of all say that there are several ways to do that. Um, the way that I've been doing it has been simply to uh, take a regular camera, like a, uh, I have a mirrorless uh, Sony camera. It's an RX10 model, but you could use any uh, sort of DSLR type camera. And I just sort of set it on a tripod kind of at the corner of the court, um, you know, obviously far enough away so that we won't run into it. Usually pretty close to the fence and just sort of try to get the entire court 
in the frame and then record that way. That's a pretty basic way of doing it. Now other people, uh, like Kenny, um, have they have these um, uh, mounts. They're like a pole uh, with a mount on it, and you can actually hang it on the fence. And Kenny uses a GoPro camera, so he hangs it on the fence. So you get kind of a nice view from the back of the court or one end of the court, and it's you know a little up a little high, so you get a really good view of the court. I love that view. In fact, I'm going to be getting uh, one of those setups myself pretty soon, so I'll be able to do the same thing. I do like the the camera method I've been using it, but it's kind of low. You're almost like your player level, so you can't see the entire court as well. So the method of, of hanging a, uh, a pole mount, it's like basically like a long selfie stick. Now you could put a cell phone on that, and I've seen some people do that, and that would be okay, but a GoPro camera is another method uh, that's really become very popular. I've seen a few other people do that as well. Now, another guy I know, now Mike Hall, uh, has occasionally done videos where he's actually uh, like handheld a, a phone or a camera and kind of, you know, sat off the side of the court to get a kind of a different perspective of a handheld, almost like a handheld camera, you know, in a, like a professional match. And it's a really interesting way to do that. Um, it's probably not the best way to see, again, you're not going to see the entire court that way. But it is kind of a neat uh, perspective to see it, you know, kind of court level, uh, basically like someone sitting, you know, off the sideline is watching the match. So I've enjoyed watching some of those videos that Mike has done as well. So as far as what is the best way, that's really kind of up to you. But I would say my favorite way, uh, and one that I will be doing soon, is to get one of these long um, mounts that you can put the camera on and can, uh, hook it up on the fence. Uh, behind your, your, your match so you can see from a higher up, you know, what the court looks like, the entire court, and to use a smaller camera like a GoPro type camera because the big camera that I use on the tripod really to me is too big, too heavy to put up on the fence. I wouldn't trust it because um, if somebody were to bump into the fence, you know, it might get knocked down because that camera is kind of heavy. You know, the GoPro cameras or phones are much, much lighter and I don't think they would have any uh, issue, you know, um, with that so so recording the match is um, is a great tactic by the way to uh, watch yourself and watch your opponents um, I've watched a lot of my own videos I've watched a lot of Kenny's a lot of Mike's a lot of other people's videos and you know I do enjoy watching my own matches to learn directly you know what I'm doing right or wrong but I also enjoy watching matches of people that I play or, or list good players because again, I can see something maybe they're doing that I would I want to try and learn. And this is something that, you know, for years and years, in almost every sport, you know, video uh, review of practices and of, you know, obviously games is just sort of become part of the sports culture. It's, you know, being able to watch what you're doing, what your opponents are doing and learn from it. Um, so if you have any ideas about, you know, videotaping taping your matches, I would strongly recommend, you know, getting a tripod or something. Um, and again, you can use your phone if you want. The only problem that sometimes people have with their phones is, you know, shooting video for, you know, a, a long amount of time will run down your battery pretty quickly on your phone. Um, whereas, you know, with a GoPro or a DSLR type camera, you know, you can swap out batteries, you know, if you have several batteries for that. So that's helpful. But with a phone, you have to recharge it, so it may not be convenient if you 
want to record more than just maybe one or two games. So be careful of your phone battery if you're going to do that, okay? So yeah, definitely um, consider, you know, uh, recording your matches and watching the playback and see what you might be doing right or wrong, okay? All right, next question is uh, regarding the podcast. And someone's asking me, you know, how do I do the podcast? You know, what is the, the methodology that I use? What technology do I use also? Well, when it's just me like this, it's very, very simple. Um, I have a, a Mac computer and I have a microphone. Now, there is a built-in microphone on the computer, but the quality isn't really that good. So I use a microphone that's made by a company called Blue Snowball. And from my time being a musician, um, I bought this microphone, you know, a year or so ago uh, when I was doing a lot of music and I wanted it to you know, be a good quality microphone to record, you know, myself playing guitar and singing, that sort of thing. Um, I don't use it so much for that anymore, but um, it's a great microphone for the podcast. So it sits on my desk here. Um, it's kind of a round um Microphone. If you go to Amazon and do a search for Blue Snowball Microphone, you'll see what I'm talking about. There are different models, and the model that I have is not the most expensive. It was maybe, I want to say maybe $80 or $90, the model that I use. Um, but it you know, sits on my desk. It's round. Um, it's, it's very good quality overall. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying that you necessarily need to have something like that. Um, but... Uh, I would recommend maybe getting a little bit better microphone than the, the built-in microphone on most computers. If you want to do something like this, you know, create a podcast or record yourself or whatever. So when I'm just by myself, I just record um, the podcast into... I use a program called Audacity. Audacity is a free program that lets you record audio and edit the audio afterwards. So if, let's say, I you know, had a coughing fit during the middle of the podcast, I could go into Audacity, I could cut that part out, okay? Um, it's basically sort of like Microsoft Word, but for audio files. So Audacity is the name of the program. It's free for both Windows and uh, Mac computers. Um, so that's what I use. Now, so what I do is I record the podcast, then I go through and listen to it. And I've got some filters that I can use to sort of clean up the audio if maybe I spoke a little bit too loudly um, or something like I want to smooth it out. Um, so just to, more, just to make it sound better, I guess, um, that I can use with that. Now, if I do a podcast with a guest, things are a little bit different because, um, because of the uh, pandemic situation. I've not done any podcast uh, guests face-to-face, -face, you in person. The ones that I've done have all been uh, through Zoom. So what we would do is we would set up a time uh, to have a Zoom call. And I use the free version of Zoom because um, with just a one-on-one -on -one conversation, there's no limit on the free version of Zoom for your, your, uh, your call. If you were doing a multiple-person call, like three or more people, Zoom has a limit of like 40 minutes uh, for that. But if you're just one-on-one, -on -one, there is not a limit on that. So I've not paid Zoom any money um, to do that. So the people that I've um, interviewed, we set up a Zoom call. And so on the Zoom, you know, there's an option to record the, the call. Now, I don't worry about recording the video part because I don't do video podcasts, at least not yet. That might be something I might do in the future. But for now, what I do when the, when the interview is over... 
um, then I get a, uh, an, a recording of the audio of the Zoom call. And then I go through and listen to it and make sure it sounds you know, really good. Again, I can cut out you know, anything you know, if I need to. Um, I've had a couple of people you know, say, uh, could you, would you mind you know, delete this little part here? Or I didn't say this the right way. Um, and I've had no problem doing that. I've even had one person who wanted to add something in right after we were done. And so we recorded a second little part of the interview and I was able to cut and paste that into the main interview. So you wouldn't really even know that we recorded that second part, you know, afterwards. I just put it in using Audacity to make it sound like one just continuous thing. And it works really well for that. Um, so then now, so let's say I've recorded everything. Um, then what I do is I uh, export the file from Audacity into an MP3 file. Now, MP3 files, you probably have heard of or used for music primarily, but they are obviously for podcasts too. So then I take the MP3 file and I upload it to a service called Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, like Anchor from a boat, anchor.fm. Now, I have a free account, again, through Anchor. So when I upload my file to Anchor, um, it gives me a link uh, to the podcast, which I share on Facebook. But what it also does is Anchor automatically um, publishes the podcast to uh, Apple Podcasts, to Spotify, and to Google Podcasts. So if you want to listen to my podcast through those services, for example, you can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts. So once I upload the file to Anchor, it takes about a day or so for it to publish to those other services. Um, so you may not get it you know, right away. But within a day or so, it will be published to those other um, formats. And I can see um, the amount of listens on Anchor. You know, how many people listen to an episode of the podcast. Um, I've tried to get the numbers from the other services. I've got some numbers from, Spot from Spotify, but I'm not quite sure they're accurate. Um, so I'm not really too much worried about that. Um, but I do get numbers from Anchor. That would be people who listen to it sort of by the direct link that I send out. So all this that I'm talking to you about, I've spent no money on software. So Audacity, the software, um, and let's see, the, uh, well, the, the podcast service, Anchor, um, I'm using a free account for them. And also Zoom, I'm using the free account for them as well. So the only money that I've spent was really on the microphone. But again, I bought that microphone you know, over a year ago when I was not even thinking about doing podcasting. So doing a podcast is really pretty easy. Uh, and now that, you know, the uh, pandemic is sort of hopefully winding down and more people are becoming vaccinated, I may start doing some interviews, you know, in person, um, in which case I would take probably like a laptop with me. Um, and I might not use this same microphone. I've got another microphone that's smaller that I could use but I'm not really sure about that, but we'll see what happens. But the, the process will be pretty much the same, except for um, I may not just do the, uh, the Zoom calls. But I'll be glad to do Zoom if anyone wants to do an interview, you know, who's remote or who doesn't feel comfortable, you know, meeting in person. I can still do Zoom. It's always there um, available for me. So again, the software that I use is Audacity to record it. I do the Zoom call if uh, necessary with a guest and I publish it to anchor.fm. Now, there are other services out there where you can upload your podcast to other than Anchor. It's just the one that I've selected. Um, so don't think you have to necessarily use Anchor, but it's one that I really um, enjoy.
Okay, so that's how I sort of create these podcasts here, okay? Um, next question comes up. Uh, Stephen, you mentioned that you were looking at getting certified as a referee. What is the process for that? Okay, um, well, let me tell you that I'm still learning that process. Let me tell you what's happened so far. Um, on the USA Pickleball site, if you go in there and, and search for the uh, referee or the, the uh, rules section, um, there's a way that you can actually take some online rules tests. Like, for example, there's a rule test for players that you can take um, that has some of the more common rules. Uh, there's also a referee, uh, or sorry, a test for line judges and then a test for referees. Now, I did really well on the players test and on the line judge test, but I didn't do quite as well on the referee test because that was much, much harder. And I didn't even study the rule book for that. Um, so those are tests that anybody can take. You, there's no cost to take it. It's probably a good idea for everybody to at least go in and take the player's rule test um, just to see how well you know the rules. Um, I wouldn't say you'd need to take the line judge or referee test unless you plan on going through the process. So, so doing that, what I did was I took those tests um, and I recorded the scores that I made and I reached out to um, the local uh, referee trainer for in the Atlanta area, Matthew Cross is his name, I said, Matthew, I've taken these tests. I'd like to investigate the process of becoming a referee. Um, so he referred me to some training, some online training that was done by an official in California named Jim Cook. So over three nights, uh, he Jim did two, I'm sorry, did uh, a two-hour session uh, three different nights. It was not the same session. You had to attend both all three nights. So I did a total of six hours of training with Jim, where Jim did a presentation telling us what the, the roles of the referees are and some of the rule scenarios that might come up. So I did six hours of training online with Jim. And so now my status, according to what Jim told me, is that I am a referee in training now. So what that means is, now that I've had that training, uh, I, will, I can now work with Matthew or some other certified referee to uh, go out and do some refereeing of some unofficial matches, you know, maybe some recreational type matches, um, and work with a trainer where they can observe me. And also I can observe a trainer, um, watch them referee, and then we can talk about, you know, uh, what we thought afterwards. So that's the process where I am now, or at least where I am in the process. I'm a referee in training, um, and I'm gonna be working uh, probably after the Atlanta Open uh, with Matthew some to uh, let him see me referee, watch him referee, um, so I can learn and go from there. I do know that at some point I will have to take a more official type test to become a line judge. That's sort of the first official certification that you get is becoming a line judge. And then after that, if you want to become a referee, that's another test that you have to take. And there's level one and then level two referees as well. So you could go up higher I think level two may be the highest, I'm not sure. I'm still learning more about the process myself, but uh, so where I am is I'm a referee in training. Um, so I'm studying the rule book, you know, a good bit when I can, and I hope to get out on the court and do some unofficial refereeing um, with the help of a trainer, okay? So that's where I am with that process, okay? Uh, and by the way, I will just say that, you know, referees are needed in lots of places. Um, so I'm doing it, to, you know, because I enjoy doing this sort of thing. I used to referee uh, basketball years ago. I, I was a tennis um, umpire for a while as well. So I enjoy doing this sort of thing. 
So I'm looking forward to uh, progressing with the pickleball referee certification as well. Okay, uh, next question. Uh, are you going to be, Stephen, are you going to be playing in the Atlanta Open and or the National Indoor Tournament in Alabama? Uh, and the answer to both questions is yes. Um, I am playing uh, singles, uh, mixed doubles, and men's doubles in the Atlanta Open. Um, it's coming up next week. I play singles on Thursday, and I play mixed doubles, I think, Saturday, and then men's doubles on Sunday. Uh, I'll be playing mixed doubles with Daniela Beard, who's been on the podcast. And uh, another podcast guest, I'll be playing with Mark Price um, on Sunday in the men's uh, doubles. So looking very forward to that. Um, this will be my first singles tournament in quite a while. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm just not sure how well I'm going to do. I just haven't been playing much singles lately, so we'll see how that goes. Um, now, the National Indoor Tournament, which is one that maybe not as many people know about, that is next month in Hoover, Alabama, just south of Birmingham. And I am signed up to play singles in that and also uh, men's doubles uh, with a guy named with a Rich Peace. Um, so we're going to play men's doubles in that. I, I don't currently, uh, I'm not planning to play mixed in that because I can only really be over there for two days. Um, I, I just don't have time to play all three events in that one over there. Got to drive over to Birmingham for that tournament. So yes, I'll be playing in both the Atlanta Open and National Indoor Tournament. Uh, looking very forward to, to both of those tournaments there. Okay, Hope you guys can maybe at least get to uh, play in, in one or both of those yourselves. Um, a lot of pros will be in town for the Atlanta Open. Um, I'm actually also, just to add on to that, I'm going to be doing um, a, a couple of clinics. I'll be attending a couple of clinics by some of the professionals. Um, Catherine Peranto. Uh, is doing a, a clinic with her coach. I can't remember her coach's name offhand. Um, and also uh, Zane, um, the really good singles player. I can't remember his, I get his name, last name wrong all the time. But Zane, um, one of the top two or three singles players in the world, is doing uh, a clinic out at Oregon Park. I'm going to do a clinic um, with him um, and then one with uh, Catherine, one of the top female players. So I'm really excited about this because, you know, these pros, they, they, you know, they don't make nearly the kind of money, you know, that, for example, tennis professionals or, you know, make. So they do a lot of clinics and workshops. That's how they get a good bit of their income. So um, I'm looking very forward to uh, attending a couple of those clinics. Um, okay, last question I'm going to have time for here today. Someone was asking me, um, the question is, uh, you've discussed uh, club wars and also the turf championships. I thought they were the same thing. How are they different? Okay. Um, in a nutshell, Club Wars is a, a team competition where you have eight players. And so you play other teams, you play four lines, okay? And at the level that uh, I played at, which was the, the, the Division Two, which is like the 4-0 level, you had to have at least two female players somewhere in those four lines. So you could have the two females playing together, or you could have, you know, two mixed teams, out of your four, whatever, that's that's fine, okay? Um, so you have eight players. Now you can also have subs. So the, um, the the one I played with more recently, I was a sub, so I only got to play two of the matches in the round robin, um, and then there was a playoff round also. Um, but you can have subs in the uh, club wars. There are three divisions. The division one club wars is for the 4.5 and higher players. Division two is for the 4.0 level. Division three is for the three-five level, okay, and it's a 
a sort of a one-day event. Um, you typically play, I think there are maybe eight teams, I believe, eight or nine, and then the top six teams, after you do the round robin, um, play a playoff round. Um, and in the round robin, the matches are timed, which is a little bit unusual for some people. Um, the matches, I think, in our Division two were maybe 12 minutes, I believe. Um, and that did actually affect one of the matches I played in because we were leading uh, late in the, in the match, like maybe 10-8 or 10-9 when the buzzer went off, um, or they blew the horn. So we were able to win the match. But if it had been tied when they blew the horn, we would have played until one team got one more point. Okay. Um, so that was Club Wars. So you have to have at least eight players for Club Wars. Now, the Turf Championships um, were similar to Club Wars, but on a bit of a smaller scale. With the Turf Championships, there were only four members of your team, and there were no subs. So at, at the level that we played, um, which was the uh, Division One, with the 4-0 and higher level, um, we had to play uh, a men's doubles team and a mixed doubles team. So you only had four players, okay? And you did a round robin with, I think, about seven or eight teams. And then, again, you made a playoff. I think the top eight made the playoff round there. So it was similar to the Club Wars, but it was on a smaller scale. Again, she only played um, two matches in the round robin. And then when you got to the playoffs, it was kind of unusual because... Let's say you were playing another team, and let's say you won your men's doubles match, but you lost your mixed doubles match. What you would then do is pick two players to play a tiebreaker match, a one game to 11, uh, to break that time. You could pick you know, whoever you wanted to from your men's or mix. You didn't have to have a woman playing in the uh, tiebreaker um, unless you wanted to. Um, so both I played in both events recently, and I really enjoyed both of them. I, I probably enjoyed the turf one more because I was not a sub. I got to play all the matches for that one. Um, I will be playing uh, Club Wars coming up, I believe, in July. I'm going to play on the Agape team, um, and I won't be a sub. Uh, at least I don't think I'll be a sub on that team. I'll probably get to play most of the matches uh, for that. But those are, they're both really, really good competitions. So if you find out that you know, there's a team um, in your area, and your, you know, maybe your club maybe is going to have a team, and you can get involved and play, I would strongly recommend uh, both of them. They're very good tournaments, uh, or good competitions, I should say. Um, but you will get to play a lot of pickleball, you know, if you get involved in one of these. So they're, I highly recommend both of them, but just know that Club Wars involves a minimum of eight players. You play four lines, and the Turf Championships, and by the way, it's not the Turf Wars, okay? Um, I had an interview with Jig, you may remember Jig, um, he told me to make sure that I didn't say that it was the Turf Wars. It's the Turf Championships, Pickleball Turf. Great, great competitions, both of them. So anyway, I think that's the last question I'm going to have time for today. Um, I want to thank all of you very much for uh, indulging me and listening. Uh, and appreciate those who sent me questions. I don't want to reveal names of those who sent questions. Um, but it looks like if you have any questions, just uh, shoot me a message on Facebook. Um, and I'll either answer you directly if you'd like, or if you want me to answer it on the podcast. I'll probably uh, start doing, you know, these mailbag type podcasts, you know, maybe once a month, once every other month. We'll just see sort of how it goes. Okay? Well, thank you guys very much. I look forward to seeing you out on the courts. Thanks again. Bye-bye.